This is the Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sporty riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. Welcome to the 123rd JBST.com Smartcast. Uh, I'm Coach Joe Beer, and, and today, I'm, I'm, hang on a minute, and today I am joined by Southport Racing's Martin Crocker. Hello. <laughs> oh, I meant. Oh, oh, we're actually we're we're up and running. Oh, we are. Yeah. Right. Uh, just some some bad. Well, some good news if you're listening. Um, the money from Uma Kumar, um, it did not arrive. Oh, is um, this the email we received? Yes, the emails last, received, last yeah, month, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, we may have to continue the podcast. However, there was another email from uh, a James Morrison. Now, not the James Morrison. Um, sent us an email on the 16th of November at uh, 14.03 hours. And it, and it said, uh, greetings to you. Very polite. Yeah. Uh, we have an urgent matter to bring to your notice from the Auditor General's Office of the World Bank. For more details, reply to... <laughs> and then, then, there was an e- then there was an email address. So what did you do? Um, well, I, I think he's going to be wiring us some money. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me guess. Uh, $355 million? Oh, not you as well. Yeah, I know. I had to help him out as well. Well, we didn't need that much. We only needed it between us. (laughs) We'll have to carry on then, won't we? Yes. So, all good. Yeah, very good. Very good. 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 Uh, Just before we came on air, we were just um, discussing tonight's topics. Yes. So, we are um, at the ready with various things. There was a few things that we were um, talking about. One thing that... I spoke about last time was the Lumi boxes, the light boxes. Okay, we're into winter winter now. Uh, We are having shorter days. Lumi did this day at Bath University. Uh, There's there's pictures. Um, I'm going to try and see if I can get a picture to actually put up on the Twitter feed. But there's a picture of swimmers doing indoor training. With something called a Versa climber, which is like I was a, going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I've is seen a, them a few times. Yeah, which yeah. is a climber machine, and there's two on the bike just to the side, and they've got these light boxes um, up on full blast. And there was um, some communication that came out as a result of that. And one um, particular part of it was uh, an Olympic diver, Nick Robinson, gave a quote that. Uh, he said, until you commit to using light therapy, you don't realise how much of a positive effect it has on you. My Lumi light travels the world with me and allows me to uh, wake up and fall asleep peacefully and effectively. It feels like the sun rises and sets in my room, which is amazing. This is very important as to me competing at elite level in my sport. I need my beauty sleep, which I thought was a nice funny add-on. Um, but there was a, a bit more uh, that, that basically talked about um, the performance coach or um, performance scientist that works with British Swimming, uh, Ben Hollis, uh, quoted um, in the uh, info that he said that our swimmers use a Lumi light box uh, to help them get to sleep in a relaxed manner. 
uh, ensure that when they wake up for early morning training they wake up gradually. In this respect they do not feel shattered upon waking, instead they're ready to tackle the challenge of the day ahead. Also we use some um, larger Lumi Brazil light boxes uh, in the indoor land training facilities for early morning session. This creates a lively awake atmosphere and helps to get the best out of each session. Um, all in all, I'd highly recommend any serious sports program that schedules morning training and at least some indoor training to consider using light boxes. And um, I think it's, it's, this, it's this little trickle. Um, we know British swimming are doing it. Uh, British rowing have put their name to it or are starting it. Um, there is some info, but I'm not allowed to say this info as yet. But there's more info coming out as as this starts to gain momentum and we are in a you know a northern hemisphere dark few months now we are indeed yeah. it's what four o'clock four o'clock and it's dark yeah and it does have an effect and you, you, you know people ignore oh no 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 i'm no, not me no i'm super positive you you cannot ignore the hormonal effect that that daylight effect has and the fact that most people will be getting up in the dark going home in the dark and if they don't get any um outside time at work they've literally been working under false light if you're lucky enough as more people and i've sort of been nudging clients but more people are using light boxes and you know they they say yeah this it's, it's nice it's, it gives me that feeling of getting proper light and you don't just you know turn your computer screen up a bit brighter you need the right spectrum of light there's something in it and the more we understand um, yes, elite performers are looking for marginal gains, but there's enough other sports apart from swimming and rowing that are already using yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And it's because that central conditioner to the 24-hour cycle, the sun, is so important. If you you stick somebody in a dark situation where they don't get body clock alignment, they start to really you know lose the plot physiologically without even taking the brain into account. You know, you've got to see the biggest problem with, with um, travel and daylight changes is that it mucks up the synchronization yeah. of your body yeah. clock. And what they found is if you use a light box, you can bring your body back into sync quicker than somebody that isn't in the right environment. <laughs> so I think there's, there's, some, there's something in it and we, we're getting to know more and people are talking about it freely. It's not just like this, you know, oh, I must have a light box, I must have SAD and oh, I better not talk about it. There's a lot more awareness that we do have dark days and if you can increase if you, you know, are in an office or you have just a, an indoor session early morning um, or even some people will have their breakfast by when they say well I sit there for half an hour I just need bright light to trigger my body it's early in the day that's the most important thing not turning it on when you get home at night because your body's going into a different cycle yeah yeah because I noticed a lot of if you go to a lot of or well, you're lucky enough to be able to go to um, villages, you know, Olympic villages or, yeah. or, or training, uh, decent training facilities. A lot of them have got a massive increase in natural light, allowing natural light to come in. And where they haven't got it, I've seen a lot of these kind of uh, right next to machines, which is a, yeah. which is, it's a strange thing to see to start mm, off with. You're mm. thinking, well, why have they got a massive light shining on in there? On it's just because, yeah, I mean, yeah. I used to go to the gym relatively early in the morning. And you used to kind of look at that and think, well, that's a bit strange. Why would they do that? But a lot of, um, a lot of the kind of the major training facilities that, uh, that are about now have a lot of um, natural light now, a bit more, yeah. um, they're a bit more aware of, of, of kind of athlete state as it would be. Because yeah. so. you, can, you can make warmth, I mean we all, we all have warmth covered by the fact we have heating and you can heat indoor resources, you can keep them at the right temperature but it's the light that gets the athlete's brain to basically 
kick in with energy early on otherwise they take longer to yeah. get into the day um, the other the flip side of those clocks that wake you up with a brighter light as they gradually dim you do feel like i mean just flicking a switch and letting the bedroom light go off and think you're automatically going to fall asleep you might but there's a much more soothing way where a light gradually dims you just notice that you sort of think oh that's about right now i need to go to sleep and okay it might be that there's a trigger that you're you're watching it drop and thinking the light's going lower, but at the same time, it is much more like if we didn't have um, false light, what would happen is the light gradually dropped. We'd either go to you know minimal you know bonfires or whatever we had as false light, and yeah. that would be it. So we would naturally do that, and we might have the you know the the all singing or dancing technologies around us, but our genetics and our the way in which we've cycled our sleep has always revolved around how long's the day. Hmm. You know, so I think there's something in it, and it's, it's nice, good to get yeah. a bit of feedback. Nice, and I'm going to try and get, I've asked for and hope to get a bit more info back on the um, on the rowers and what they're doing. Good. So good. always so. always good to have something different, but not you know thousands and thousands of pounds that you have no, to. No light with. boxes. You know, a light alarm is about what fifty to eighty pounds, and a light box starts at about a hundred pounds. Might be less than that. Some some of them are less than that actually. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's for somebody that's doing um, any of the sports with a bike. You know, that's a couple of tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, it. so it's not. You know, and you're, you're talking about something that um, this one here. That's what is that roughly what? How many what? Eighteen inches square. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably like that. I mean, I've never had a bulb go in that, and that's been probably three years. Yeah. And you think, even if it went now, it'd be a few pounds, and there it goes again. Yeah. So it's it's got a really good um, sort of, I think, investment that you get back from it. And more people that do it just notice that it works. And it's like, yeah, it's not, it's only one step away from just creating a slightly better environment, even just to work in, just so you feel a bit better at work, to be a bit more light. Not everyone actually has a lot of light in their so, environment. So with instance, Joe, with, with what you've got there, yeah. how would you use that, that light box? Oh, earliest possible opportunity when I'm in the office, turn it on, it's at about, it's not quite at arm's length, it's quite close. So it's off to my right hand side just slightly. There's two computer screens and then there's this, and that just that just comes on. and. You know, if I've done it early morning, which I don't because the amount of light that that pushes out the office yeah. um, means that anybody, literally, for probably about half a mile in that direction, there's this really bright light. <laughs> you, you put it out, I mean, if you pushed one out into your back garden, one like this, it's like somebody's just turned daylight on. Yeah. And yeah. it's that early synchronisation of, of using light. And okay, if you don't get into the office till nine o'clock, you're still getting high quality light early on. And it could be on... You don't go too late into the day because you want to make sure that you create that gradual dimming of light. Yeah. So, you know, this time of year, it might be on, you know, today it's probably on for about four hours. Right. But it's four hours. The lux of that light box is 5,000 lux at the distance that I'm looking at it. And that's that's a quite bright day. I mean, it's not awesomely bright, but the other day when we had one of those freak bits of sunlight that <laughs> came and I was sat there and I thought, if I was sat behind glass, I put the light meter up to try and see how much can I maximally get from the sun. And it wasn't as much as the light box would give. Right. So even at this time of year, the sun that you get sometimes could be brightish, but a lot of times you don't get that high quality um, bright sunlight for a long time so this just ensures that for a small part of the day you get bright you light. get your hit as it would be absolutely yep yep do you want to read the first question or do you want me to read the first uh, question 
I'll read it for you. No oh, would you not read it for me? Yeah. I can read. Mm. Uh, the first mm. question. Mm. Uh, question. <laughs> question. Yeah. yeah, he can read. The first question, reader. The first question. The first question uh, sent in via the JBST um, contact page is from Eamon Sheridan. It says, Hi, Joe and Crocker. I am booked on your Mallorca uh, bike week in March. He says, I have had a small operation uh, that is now going to keep me off the bike till at least Christmas. I can't swim, run or do gym work. The question is, what would be a good starting point to gain back my fitness to get the best out of the camp once I get back on the bike? I think the question applies to anyone who has had an enforced layoff uh, from the bike. Best wishes, Eamon. Best what? They're not my teeth. Okay. I've borrowed Fair these. Fair enough. Yeah, they seem to have a life of their own. Um... I mean, it's one of those things where this, this often happens to people and it is getting your head around the fact that we all love to be consistent, love to, you know, get out and um, just just exercise. Training's great, but often training's just getting outside and it's getting outside and doing things that you like doing, even if you don't necessarily have any more performance aims than, well, it you know, allows me to eat a few more bits of cake and I feel quite good and the doctor tells me that, you know, my blood cholesterol's fine and I'm, all, I'm quite fit as a fiddle. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily need to ultimately perform. Just being able to exercise is what people miss when they have something like this. So how, you know, how do you, how, what's the good starting point? Well, first and foremost, it's making sure that when you're given the absolute all clear, um, making sure that the medical people that deal with you understand that you are active that you're not just saying oh now i've had an operation i really want to get fit by cycling you tell them what you did beforehand how much you typically do and therefore you're not just starting another exercise regime because you know, it's, it's after it's, christmas it's after christmas yeah, yeah, which, is when, exactly this, which is when this is going to happen and therefore a good starting point is often these really small sessions and because um you're talking mostly about the bike then you know you can get on the bike and just literally do a 10 15 or even 20 minutes very low level um work to a very low heart rate think you know small chain ring don't go on the treadmill try to run because that would be too cardiovascularly demanding uh, when you've had you know quite a lot of time off and you know you expect um until after Christmas, so that's effectively at least four to five weeks of deconditioning, then there's a start small, but you know what? If you add on, you can be back up to speed very quickly. Even if you started in January, from January to middle of March, that's yeah, 10 weeks, even if you do small increments and you go from 10 minutes to 20 and 20 to 30, once you're on a roll and you're easily doing, particularly with a low impact sport like cycling, once you're up to sort of 40, 50, 60 minutes, you can then go out and do much longer. Yeah, yeah. And I think people think that they lose more fitness than they do. Um, it, it's it's the fitness in the head, you know. It's that whole I'm going to lose it all. It's actually genetically already what somebody's got endowed is what they've got endowed. Yeah. All you're trying to do is get back up to that level, and it is a, a slow process. But the remarkable thing about people that are fit is that it comes back pretty quickly because most of the things have not actually completely disappeared. The longer you've been doing it for, the more that your cells have had that almost replicated so many times mm. over whereas if somebody's not been very fit and then they say i want to start fitness of course it's warning bells to to uh the medical fraternity but it's also not a good idea 
for somebody to put that strain on top of their body as well when whatever has been um, even a small operation can still have things that are um, you know slight infections as a result of being in um, hospital or just being at a low ebb or not being able to you know quite eat as well because you know people get down and therefore they eat slightly worse it sounds ironic but why not you're going to be down by the fact you, you really want to do stuff yes it'd be great to say i'm going to eat so well but that's not actually going to accelerate the rate at which you no. recover no. and invariably people therefore don't they just go oh what the hell i'm just gonna i'm just gonna have a, you know, a bit of a pig out because oh i'm feeling sorry for myself um the, you know the question does apply to a lot of people but they don't realize it's coming their way no. they will fall off their bike they will have a you know a sudden operation something will happen and normally it's not you know somebody doesn't stop training for five weeks just because they've got a bit busy that might happen for a couple of weeks after a while people work out that they can do a little bit of time Every bit helps, but you've got to start with real micro sessions that you'll take longer to put your kit on than to take it off than you will be sat on that turbo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, unless you're very efficient, swimming might sound like a good idea, and it, and it will be possibly able to you know, be integrated. But if you puff and pant to do front crawl, but you're okay doing breaststroke, we'll do that. As long as, the, as, long as what you do isn't exacerbating the area you've had operated on, um go to your most likely sport you can do easy and in this case it's cycling yeah and he's got a turbo because i know therefore he can sit on a turbo yeah. oh you can go to the gym for a different change of environment but if you're not going to go there for many minutes the temptation is once you get going oh well i drove all the way there whatever it took me 15 minutes to get there i'm not going to get changed sit on the bike for 10 minutes and get back off again but well, you've got to you've really got to set a rigid that's the thing well the, the biggest the biggest biggest problem or issue would be that you want to come back too early Yes. So yeah. the so that and everybody has done it. I don't care. I don't care whether it's cycling, swimming, running, cricket, snooker. Anybody that's had an operation or an injury wants snooker. To, yeah, I know. I made that up. Um, come wants to come back. Yes. Really yeah. quickly. Yeah. And the what people don't understand from that is they think right. Well, if I can get back quickly, I've lost less, which means I can take. You know, I'll, I'll be able to do. You know, mm. a bit more because I'll be fitter. Mm. Well. If, for instance, you had maybe a hernia operation um, and you come back, something goes wrong, it's another four weeks, yeah. pretty much. You've yeah. had four weeks off, it's another four weeks, it's eight weeks. Whereas if you'd waited six weeks, yeah. you'd be fine. So the, the most essential thing, I think, from, from having a small operation, um, if the doctors say, you know, you know, you can't do anything till Christmas, it gets to Christmas and they say, well, just give it a couple more weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a couple more weeks. Yeah. As, know, long, don't, as long as they know somebody's active, because sometimes they'll say, don't do too much to people, because people weren't going to do too much anyway. anyway yeah, but yeah. if you're active, you can get back up to speed fairly quickly. But I think you've got to understand that when you are active, the amount of damage that training does... It's fine when you're fit and healthy yeah. because you turn it into a training adaptation that makes you feel better. If you're not, it just adds another, I don't know, 300 or potentially 3,000 calorie output for that yeah. one day. Somebody goes off and says, oh, yeah, but I've always done, you know, an 80 miler on that date every year. But, yeah, but if you're not ready for things like that, you can't do it. And you have to you have to progress at the rate that not only are medical indicators not showing that you're going backwards, but also you feel as though you're subtly moving this thing along. Because wherever you've been to, it doesn't actually take that long. And I think the time scale he's talking about is ideal because it is enough time over that 10 weeks to gradually progress yeah. but 
it isn't about intensity it's about you know increasing the number of days perhaps literally starting on a you know three days of, of 15 minutes and then go okay so you know done that right okay next week try you know three days of 20 25 minutes the yeah. following week make one a bit longer maybe go up to 30 35 and maybe have a fourth one and just you know gradually ramp it up and there is no absolute there is no oh i can only go up 10 percent or no you just progress at a rate that you feel good and sometimes that can be quite a big jump because actually everything's going well i feel i feel totally normal now there's no you know everything i've done is fine right well okay if you're doing you know an hour and a 10 minutes at that point you can go off and probably do two and a half hours now because yeah. as long as you take into account any jump past about 80 90 minutes requires that you then take on board more fuel you know you may find you're a little bit lacking in fitness but the training camp is on about you know is a it's a training camp it's it's meant to be a fun thing it's not right your performance will be absolutely tested and you will be you know put in a bracket for the rest of your life based on what you do it's actually no you want to get there and be able to do you know the rides that there are you know demanding rides in Mallorca there's a what is it 18 19 kilometer climb the Calabra certainly at least 16 kilometers and so yeah that's a that's a challenge and it's certainly a challenge if somebody doesn't do that all the time and if they haven't been doing quite so much riding it could be a big challenge but I think that sort of time scale is quite realistic yeah but <clears throat> I think don't allow yourself to be to you know for the for the doctors to go you can't really do anything until Christmas if they then say it's going to be another week after Christmas don't go oh for crying out loud mm. you know mm. it it is what it is mm. you know there's no point in having six weeks off mm. four weeks off say coming back too early having another four weeks off yeah yeah because then you then you're starting to lose time that and you then you were, panic yeah yeah then but, people do and some you know sometimes not that because there are options um uh, mallorca terrain is such that there are certainly plenty of days where there are flat or very very low altitude gain days yeah. and there are some that are challenging for people that thought they were fit when they got there and they are but they're just you know pretty tired by the time they get to that point in the week yeah. therefore it took you know um it took a lot out of them there's always you know there's always a plan b there's always a case of saying you know what um perhaps i might not be able to do exactly what i did year on year perhaps i might not be able to um um do you know that performance climb that i did last year in 28 minutes i want to try and see if i can beat it well this is a different you know i say to people everybody it's a different year you can't you can't always roll out the same old thing because sometimes that isn't good for you to just think i'm going to do exactly the same or that things in your surroundings and things like you know operations um people that uh move continents buy houses have another baby have a different job it all changes and across clients i would say over the past six months pretty much most of those scenarios have, have run over yeah. people have changed people have gone to australia people have got their fourth child or they've completely changed their job and every one of them has to now go right this is different and it won't be entirely different for Eamon, but it will be a bit different by the fact that you know, you, you almost kind of will be gradually tapering up to it as opposed to doing really solid training and then tapering down for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, d- just, just bear in mind that, you know, the goalposts might shift, mm. but don't worry too much. And it is a training camp. You know, if, for instance, the doctor give you, uh, gives you the clean bill of health, you know, crack on with what you want to do in January. You know, effectively, January, February, you know, you've almost got two and a bit months to do 
Yeah. You know, not you're not playing catch up. You're basically doing your pre-season training, yeah. Yeah. aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, don't panic. You know, the, the the there's a lot of time. The dates, you know, the, the the dates and the weeks don't roll past faster just because you're unfit mm. and you think you've got to panic. Just mm. get over whatever you've you've had done. Get over it properly. Then yeah. you start building. So yeah, yeah. good. Good question. Second question is from uh, Paul White and. He says, hi, Joe and Crocker. I've got a question for the, the podcast. I've been running for a few years, completed 10Ks, half marathons. Um, I've taken the step up to a marathon. 2013, I got into a triathlon, completing a sprint in 117, Olympic in 230. And I want to take the step up to um, middle distance, 70.3, if you like, uh, in 2014. I've got a place for 2014 London Marathon. And I've also entered the Outlaw Half, which is in the summer. I'd really like to do both, but I'm concerned that the London Marathon being mid-April and the Outlaw in June will result in a loss of training at a key time for the triathlon, based on what the London Marathon would do. <clears throat> I'm targeting sub-six for the Outlaw Half. Ideally, wanted to go sub-five. Well, firstly, I'll, I'll pick that point up when we come back to it, that sub-six, sub-five. Um, Really time for London Marathon, ideally go sub four. And Macmillan Running Calculator suggests this should be achievable based on a recent 10k of 45 minutes. Um, it predicts a 331. Um, am I silly to consider running my first marathon six weeks before my first 70.3? I've recently started my base training for the Outlaw Half, and this was this was sent in um, fairly recently. Uh, but wonder how I would adapt my training to manage both events. Working backwards 12 weeks from London and adapt my training to focus more on running. Then after the London Marathon massively reduced my run training and focus on swim or bike. Love the podcast and any help would be appreciated. Um, it's the age old thing. You know, people having uh, different goals that, you know, if a runner is doing the London Marathon, they won't have, you know, a half Ironman six weeks later. But you're a multi-sports person and... Yeah, you've you know you've done you've done Olympic in two thirty, so you know you're 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 more than capable in terms of triathlon, um, but I think it is a difficult thing because a marathon is hard to get right if you're training for it on its own. Yeah, if you're trying yeah. to train for it because it's this. If they were twenty miles, marathons would be a piece of cake, really would. It's the last six miles, the additional stress that that causes the body. It's almost like you're doing a slightly different event. Um, at elite level, you'd be talking about them, you know, doing um, 20 miles pretty much in about, you know, um, if you take off six miles, you do about 130 or thereabouts, let's say. An hour's 30 is, is quite fine. There's plenty of events up to an hour 30 that you're fine. The moment you go from that hour 30 to beyond two hours, and for the average runner, just the time on your feet going from not being um you know not being something that's done in three hours or just over it's now taking you three and a half to four hours yeah. that's different so i think they're completely different <laughs> in their goals and i don't see why you can't focus on as much using your you know long bike that you can progress in the parallel build up to outlaw but just don't put it smack bang next to your long run. And people that have done this, albeit that's a tight time scale, the difference between the two only being, you know, six weeks, mm -hmm. is to do the long run in the middle of the week and do the long ride at the weekends, okay? The long ride at the weekends can make long running seem fairly short because you're long, you know, if, you, if you're going to aim for a marathon that's going to take you three and a half to four hours, if you've built your bike ride up to that, 
or slightly further, yeah. though not much. Um, what you've got to look at is, you know, if he's, if he's taking, um, you know, he predicts a 3.30 for his 45-minute 10K. Okay, that's okay. But, you know, the the bite lag on the 70.3 isn't going to take you 3.30. So you've got to look at how demanding is that marathon really. It's so much more demanding than the half Ironman yeah. is that it's 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 the wrong order. If you had later to build up for the marathon, the, the London Marathon, I have to say, invariably can, can really muck up a lot of people's seasons because it gets this all-encompassing, oh, yeah, but it's London, but it's London. Yeah, there's far better marathons to run if you want to run a decent one. There's a great atmosphere. There's a sense that it's your first marathon. And I would really go for completion. And I would say, if you spend that long on your feet and you've done a diluted marathon build-up that still takes into account you want to get in at least a two-hour to potentially three-hour ride each week anyway, yeah. then you're building up as a triathlete. You cannot go from being a runner, flick a switch, and suddenly become a triathlete. Yeah. Because the marathon is too specific an event. You know, the top people at marathon get it wrong more times than they get it right because it's such a difficult event. So for the average amateur, I think you're better to go for completion because it's the first time you've done it. And then in parallel, be working on the fact that running off the bike for what will probably be something like, I'm guessing about a 145, 150, maybe 145 half marathon, depending on the, you know, um, it's outdoors, it's flat. So actually it could be yeah, 145. Still, if he's run a marathon, 145, six weeks later, is going to feel like a piece of cake. Yeah. But yeah. what you haven't done is overdone it in the marathon. You can't crack the London Marathon, on whatever programme you're doing. You can't crack it. Because if you do, your body, um, and it's been measured over a month later, has still got damage in it a month later. Yeah. So you've got to go for completion and get round and go, first marathon I ever did was London. I didn't race it, I just went for a completion. But the key was, six weeks later, a half. And this isn't me waving the flag for triathlons, saying, oh, triathlons better than better than marathons don't put too much into marathons no just to get round that marathon is going to take you a lot yeah and if you put too much onus on it you're not only not only unlikely to get it right and really run a great one particularly first time out but the chances are that you could really do yourself in and find the outlaw which is um considerably more expensive than london marathon to enter is unfortunately going to go wrong and then you've got yourself you know, into middle of June. If by middle of June you've already hit the buffers and you say, oh, I really don't, things aren't going well. Well, they're not going to turn around for probably four weeks after that, by which time you get, if you get to mid-late July, even to August, you've seen the season go by. And unfortunately, the one wrong event in April has done you it's into the rest of the year. That's the thing. And, and it is a difficult one. That is, you know, Paul, that is a, a difficult one. And I, and, and I know... I know you want to do well. You want to do well in both. But I, I think I think Joe's right. I think you kind of you you run. It's your first marathon, and it's not like you can never run another marathon again. Yeah. You know, you you might decide that these are the two things you want to do that year, and after you've done them, you might go, well, actually, I quite enjoyed the marathon, so I might do that as a single sport. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and 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 fair dues to kind of all the multi multi sport people out there that that do this juggling act all the time. Um, but like Joe said, I think probably completion for your first marathon is the 
is is, is the way to go. Um, don't put too, put too much of an onus on it. You know, if you get the marathon wrong and then to have a good half, um, then you know I can imagine you being quite happy about it. But if you get them both so drastically wrong, mm. you know it's easier to get them both wrong by going at the marathon too hard mm. and then like you say flip trying to flick that switch and trying to play catch up because all yeah. you'll end up doing is just burying yourself yeah and it's not you know you term it on the question you say you know um will it result in a loss of training at a key time of outlaw it's not a loss any loss of training it's just how hard the marathon training is that you know, you can't just draw a line under it and then say, right, here we go, I'm going to go yeah. into... People don't realise how much it physically takes out of them. That's the biggest... It's staying, staying injury-free as yeah. well. Yeah, and and uh, depending on, you know, whose who's, um, rule of thumb you want to go by, you probably, to you know, to feel that completion is possible, you've probably got to get certainly, you know, uh, 20 miles done, um, not too often because then you'll get there and you'll be exhausted but you know you've got to get out to that point where in most cases people have certainly done some long runs up around the you know three hour mark or thereabouts but you know try and reduce the the amount of stress you put on your body to do the london don't just do long runs and make them bigger and bigger and bigger phase them a three to one ratio so three weeks of progression and one week of backing right off also sometimes split them so maybe the third week in that cycle, don't just go off and say, oh, it's the biggest one, I'm going to I'm gonna do an 18 this week. Split it as a 10 done easy on, you know, as I say again, in the week, maybe you could do it, you know, a, a longer run in the morning. And then when you get home, again, do a, another long run, but make it a faster tempo, albeit still controlled, so that when you've got tired legs, because you've not had the recovery between morning and night, um, if you do one run and then you get up the next morning, you've had recovery, you've had the best recovery you can ever have, which is sleep. If you do a run in the morning and then do a run in the evening, that second run, you start a bit rusty, it feels okay after a while, but then if you do try and push the pace a bit, you notice, oh yeah, this my legs feel like what they do towards the end of a race. Yeah. Not flat out, but they feel a little bit. And that way you spread the stress. You're not just thinking you know, that you draw a line and say, oh, look, that's the rate at which my runs must go up. You have this three to one phasing, you're doing marathons, so you should be getting some form of sports massage, some form of body work to stop your body getting damaged. Um, maybe do some deep water running. You've got to keep your swimming going because you're doing the outlaw. So do a swim, but also add on some deep water running, which can be put into your running training. Okay, don't do that face, Martin. <laughs> right? It can be put in as running training, but you're not adding more tiredness. The point of training, yeah. and I'll underline this and put an exclamation mark in, the point of training is not to make yourself tired. Yeah. So you have to have enough recovery from that long run day, which might mean the next day you're just going to do a technique swim, you go and do sweet Fanny Adams and have the day off, but what you don't do is think, I've got to do the, you know, the Ironman training and the, the run training. Most people train too frequently once they get the bit between the teeth. And yeah. they don't realise how many of those sessions, if they get them wrong, are just making them tired. That's it. Because They're absolutely they, pointless, really. They won't keep the heart rate down because they always are, oh, yeah, but I, I need this one to sort of, you know, can't, oh, can't, be, can't be junk mileage. Well, junk mileage is stuff that is not what you're meant to be doing by the fact you're going too hard or you're going too often by the fact you're you're tired and think oh yeah, i suppose about i'm going to do another run and it is a difficult one but you've really got to ultimately make a decision between which one of those is something you can have a good crack at well 
I think it's the outlaw because you've done sprint, you've done Olympic. Yeah. This is the next progression. You will have run a 26 mile training session for the outlaw six weeks before, which means your, your trainer can taper then. Um, you don't go into massive speed work. You just taper what is your longest run. And you think, you know what? Getting round the marathon is a completion exercise. It is an entirely different prospect to even running half marathons. A marathon is three half marathons. It's not two, okay? And it's completely different. I know people say, you know, add them together and then um, add 10 minutes and that's about what the slowing down rate is, yes. which, you know, is it's not quite for elites because it's add them together and add what is it about seven minutes what is it 58 minutes for the half that's 156 to seven minutes okay but as people get slower down the field that seven becomes 10 minutes that's 15 right. minutes. Yep, yep. it still means that it is longer and harder to go and repeat what you do for half marathon and expect it to easily happen lots of people get to 13 miles and they're fine they might even be able to get to 18 miles and be fine it's at 18 to 20 miles that suddenly the amount of times people say wheels fell off don't know why yep. and as you are a triathlete you should be open to using um fuel that ideally wants to be the same fuel you but use that was going to be my next one yeah, yeah. yeah. what well, were you going to say i did a few ultra marathons um and my training sessions used to be uh, a short short run Monday, easy, and then Wednesday was the longer run, mm. and then Thursday was the was the shorter easy again. But in in my haste to kind of be, I wanted to be over prepared rather than under prepared for it all. Mm. So of course I used to I used to run anything over fifteen miles for my long session, which went up to eighteen miles, which then went up to twenty two miles. And come the end of that kind of block of weeks, I was just doing that, going, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. I was absolutely shattered. And I was then I was then kind of looking back at it. This was I only did this the other day because we were talking about old training diaries. Mm. We were looking back through old training diaries. And I was looking at that thinking and, and didn't really back off. I, I didn't get to that fourth week and kind of go, Oh, I need to take it easy. I just kept going and yeah. kept going and kept going. And then came to the uh, the actual racing. And then you looked at it and go, Whoa, I used to get to about 18 miles and just go. So I'd done pretty much what I deemed to be all the preparation apart from the nutrition. Mm. And then as soon as you hit 18 miles, probably the fittest I've ever been running wise, got to 18 miles, boom, gone. And you just saw a drastic tail off. Which is which is what happens even if you know marathon is still what I would consider an ultra marathon. I know in the yes, ul yeah, yeah, in yeah. ultra circles it's you know it's considered, you know, a puppy. However, yeah. if you look at it from a physiological perspective, it's not. No. It's not. It is still at the point where the glycogen that you have got at the start is unlikely to get you to the finish unless you're incredibly efficient and get your pacing spot on and you're probably doing it slower than you'd like to. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you see now elites, there's some great footage online of the, um, uh, when the guy broke the world record and uh, it was in Berlin and they're running down and they run by the power bar things and they're grabbing bottles and they're throwing them to one another and they're, and they're doing it, you know, and they're doing it and you work out the pace they're running at and they're doing, you know, four, whatever it is, four forties, four fifties and you're like, they don't look like they're moving, point A. B, yeah. they're drinking, and also they've got the wherewithal at that pace to just be able to pass stuff around and off you go. And really, for for you, Paul, you still got to think about the outlaw. You're going to be requiring that nutrition. Yeah. You've said about, you know, sub 
sub six or maybe sub five that's a big difference okay sub six is very doable by a lot of people sub five you start to get to the cutting edge and i don't know a 117 and a 230 i don't think sub five is going to be on i have to say that prove me wrong I don't think if you've done, you know, you've done 10Ks and half marathons, you're not untrained. You've still done a couple of races. Uh, Windsor was a 230. And that's flat enough to say that it wasn't a lumpy course and you did a 230. So you can't just double that up. I don't think. I, I often think that you, people that go under five, I've typically seen a sub 220s. Um, and therefore, um, I think it's important to be realistic about. I reckon you may do a, you know, a 515 to a five. 30 that window something of thereabouts mm. okay but just train as if you're you know as if you're doing the right sessions acknowledge that nutrition is as important to take in on your long runs for the marathon as it is to practice because you're going to be taking it in yeah when you're um no less than well let's say no less than three hours getting off the bike and then starting to do it so if you consider that your nutrition kicks in three hours into the event in the outlaw and yet so if you're on the marathon you know every 30 minutes you've got to be taking something every time you take an isotonic gel that's another mile back into your legs so if you can do that six times you just gain the six miles that you want yeah 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 and <clears throat> i think the same with like um the question we answered first of all from aim was you know your your ability to probably try and push yourself a bit too quickly you know, one with recovery, but number two with this, trying to set your benchmark as being, you know, yeah. Eamon's was, uh, hopefully I'll be back on the bike by Christmas. Well, if you're towed, it's another week, it's another week. It's as simple as that. With your six, you know, five to six hour, you know, don't panic if it's, if you put an onus on that five hours, mm. I will uh, I will almost guarantee you that you'll get to five hours, the wheels will fall off it, mm. you'll know in your head that you haven't, you haven't completed what you think it would be mm. your target time and then it becomes even worse than six hours you know mm. so don't put too much pressure on yourself wanting to get in for that 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 five hours between five and six you've you've had a good one yeah. you've had a really do, good to one. do that five hours to do that five hours you've got to be roughly under 30 for the swim roughly under three for the bike and roughly under 130 for the run and yeah you could say okay take 10 minutes off the bike do a 250 and then run a 140 okay but they're still you know they're quite to do 30 minutes 240 and then a sorry 250 and then a 140 still you know that's not you don't just roll that off no, i no. would say that that um i don't know you know you, you could have horrendous swim speed and therefore both of your sprint in the Olympics has been made up by phenomenal running off the right, bike or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But still, 117 and a 230 isn't a 106 and a 215. And that 15 minutes difference over Olympic distance is at least half an hour over the half Ironman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's just, a, there's just a, you know, I know some people say, oh, yeah, but I'm better over distance. Yeah, but you've still got to have physiological means with which to do it. Yeah. People don't actually get faster as the distance gets longer. That's right. I know some people think, yeah, yeah, but I'm good at the long stuff. Yeah, but we're still talking about that at relatively fast pace, um, people that are at a certain level to go sub five, knowing people that I coach that can and can't go sub five, I know what that gradient is and you could literally draw it and you could say look this person does this this and this and as long as you're comparing like for like you know uh outlaw half isn't uh wimble ball okay so wimble ball no you're definitely not going to go under five um 
you'd probably be scraping it to go under 545 because that's entirely different to Windsor. So Windsor, and you didn't see what the sprint were, were, you know, not they're not giveaways, but they are certainly in the case of Windsor. You know, that's a, that's a fairly quick course. You look at the times, they are fairly quick. And therefore, I think just be realistic about getting around the marathon and having a great day and a yeah. great achievement. And saying the first one I did was at London and I loved it. Not, oh, I got it all wrong, and I didn't, didn't, didn't taper right, didn't carbo load, didn't take on board nutrition, ran too fast at the start, got overexcited, and I blew up, and it was a horrible day. Oh, and it completely mucked up my outlaw. Yeah. You know, you can do both, but you've got to see that you are primarily a multi-sports person. Yeah, and brilliant for trying it, Paul. You know, there's a lot of people that won't put those two so close together. Yeah, and yeah. And fair dues for doing it. If it all goes horrifically wrong, which it won't, by the sounds of it, you're quite an accomplished uh, athlete. So just take from it, you know, a few positives. I think people tend to beat themselves up a fair bit. If it all goes horrifically wrong, have a look at it after a couple of weeks, have a little bit of a giggle and just go, all right, well, I tried it and, and mm. it didn't roll. Mm. If it goes well brilliant mm. you know but then sometimes the athlete and you goes well imagine if i hadn't done the the marathon how much better i would have gone i would have been able to phone joe beer up and say i've gone under five hours how do you like them apples <laughs> um or <laughs> vice versa you've just gone well i did i did kind of mess it up for the for for, for the outlaw there and uh, um you know I, I i quite enjoyed the the marathon maybe i could have gone sub yeah you know four hours, three and a half hours, three mm. hours for the mm. marathon if I hadn't mm. you know, thought about this. I think so. you can often make these things work. People can cram things remarkably close together, but there's got to be a realism in, yes. in, yeah. in what you do with them individually, okay, based on your history. Most races are, for most people, they're just, you know, the reality... Because after a while, the reality of certain times sticks. And there isn't like, oh, yeah, that was a bit slow because of this. But eventually, your performance level is probably indicative of what you could be able to yeah. do at a marathon or a 5K. You know, very few people are so well trained that you say, oh, yeah, they're great over 10K, but they're not really good over a marathon. You know, if you're great over 10K, eventually you'll probably be great over a marathon. Yeah. But yeah. you just have to go through the, the Paul Radcliffe, great over 10K and then great over marathon type progression and i think it's great to have different goals you can put them together but just be careful of the marathon it bites yes um best of luck mate anyway and uh yes. best of all just enjoy yourself so another question uh from will mangar and he says hi joe and crocker a question for the next podcast not sure if it's been asked yet um just a quick question on caffeine use for performance i realize the best way to use caffeine for performance enhancement is uh, to sensitize first so at least seven days plus of no caffeine which i struggle with anyway um, <laughs> i understand there is a large variation in outcome effect of specific caffeine use timing before exercises some folks score well with 10 minutes prior to desired peak others one and a half hours i am still experimenting do you have any ideas to share on timing or data in the literature um thanks p.s my two kids now ask for joe beer on long journeys on the car radio <laughs> much hysterical laughter at the banter um thanks will that's brilliant um i've not seen this variation though some folks score well with 10 minutes i think what what they're getting muddled up with there is the caffeine gels okay and what they're actually getting is a lift of carbohydrate okay caffeine takes most of the research would say an hour to reach peak concentrations in your blood. Um, some say it's starting to reach levels after 30 minutes, but that's only when you're using really massive doses. The optimum is pretty much locked on 
one hour before your desired start time. Um, and um, he said about, you know, ideas on um, the uh, timing. And I think it's an hour. There's no real, um, there's no real ifs or buts. And the amount is pretty much three milligrams per kilogram. So if you're 70 kilograms, that's 210 milligrams. Um, and it sounds, you know, you're, you're kind of going, oh my God, that's a lot. It's not. I mean, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not, but you do have to try it. Oh yeah, yeah, because he he is a time trialist come triathlete. Um, there's a different scenario to starting, say, a two-hour 50-mile time trial and how you want that to phase in, perhaps fairly soon into the ride, versus standing on the side of a cold lake with 500 other people around you, being a bit sensitive to swimming in open water and being a bit scared, and absolutely tripping on caffeine because you've taken too much. <laughs> and people do, and they hyperventilate, yeah, no, no, and they I get know, it yeah. wrong. So you've got, to, you've got to actually think, when do I want it? And for people that are doing swimming events, and they don't want it to kick in in the swim, because they say, well, I've got to swim, you know, perhaps the half Ironman we're just talking about, look, I've got to swim 1,900 metres. Actually, I don't need to hammer it. Well, OK, take it very close to the start of the event, and therefore it will be kicking in on the bike, okay? Different to somebody that, um, let's say uh, Will Manga does a, you know, a time trial, wants to do a 10 mile time trial. Well, he wants that to be fully in the system and might take it 70, 80 minutes beforehand yeah. so that it's well and truly in the system. But the one thing about caffeine is because it can kick in after 30 minutes, if you're warming up for even that 10 mile time trial, you've got to watch that you keep to the plan of the warm up because you can already feel quite good after 30 minutes that you start outriding yourself on your warm up because you just feel so good. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that you need seven days of no caffeine. Stuff that's been done on people that are habitual caffeine users suggests that it doesn't have an effect if you withdraw it. And I wonder whether actually... It doesn't have any more effect, do you mean? Yeah, you if you if you're if you're still on caffeine through the week and then you take it for your race at the weekend, you're not going to not notice the effect. Right. On the flip side of that, if you never use caffeine, then you've got to watch that. Really, you should get used to it because yeah. it can change people. And although the sensitivity, <laughs> it, it can change people. Not like you're going to go green and take your clothes off. Is well, it? No, it can change how they feel. And if you don't know in training how hard you can really go when you've had you know, a bit of a push from caffeine. It may be that you, you either get scared at the performance that you think, I shouldn't be going this fast, this, this is wrong, um, or you get overexcited and you do go too fast and therefore it is wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to try it in training and not that you should do it you know, in a, uh, a peak week up to a key race anyway, but you should have done it you know, two weeks before, four weeks before, you know, middle of the winter to see what it's like to, to, you know, to change things. But there is that flip side that it is a stimulant and if you get too used to using it in training you cannot listen to your body and i think and i found and i actually did it that um when i got like a really bad cold type virus thing i went off coffee because the problem was was i was feeling like oh i'm not too bad really not to train i knew i wasn't going to train but it was still making me feel yes, more energetic than i needed yeah. to and actually when you need to recover when you need to get well, or when you need to just listen to what your body's like, the downside of caffeine is it masks it. And therefore, you do feel a little bit better than you are. And the point of training is not to get tired and say, oh, I just have enough coffee, that'll get me round. Because then you're starting to work on the whole adrenal system far more than you should do. Um, I think you keep it simple. You, you You do as much caffeine 
in your normal daily life as you like, providing it doesn't become habitual to training, but you get it right for the key races by having practiced it in training. Yeah. Even, even for an interval session. Because if you do that right, and you time it right, you do your interval session, you say, blimey, I've never had numbers like that before. That's awesome. Not only have you shown that it works well for you, but you've also made that interval session more effective. Yeah. And some recent research on people that were even very low in glycogen and, and tired, they could still produce more work despite being in that bad condition. Yeah. But the best was when they were glycogen loaded and they had the caffeine. So it's just, it's getting, you know, it's getting it... Um, it's getting the balance right. It's getting the balance yeah. right. You know, and some people can drink coffee at, what is it? Well, it's after nine in the evening. Some people can drink it now. If I drank it now, I would still be up, you know, writing great ideas on pieces of paper at one o'clock in the morning. Other people can drink a coffee and go to bed. Mm. So if you're insensitive to caffeine, well, you could have fast forwarded past that last five minutes because you, you have caffeine and you don't know what the fuss is about. Other people as low as 100 milligrams and they can say, blimey, I was flying. I t- you know, you know, 100 milligrams is like a really strong coffee. It's a, uh, it's a Red Bull. It's a couple of caffeine gels in most cases. Um, it's about three scoops of power bar charger. It's you know, a couple of, um, a couple of power bars that have got caffeine in. What are they? The coconut ones. It's not a lot. I mean, that is a small amount. 100 milligrams of caffeine. You drink coffee. Don't look at me like that. Yeah, I, I, I drink coffee. I have one coffee at nine o'clock in the morning, and then I still struggle to sleep at about half past ten at night. But yeah, it's like you were saying, the, the, the effects of caffeine on certain people vary massively, don't yeah, they? Yeah. You know, some people get upset stomach, have migraines, headaches, you know, blurred vision. So unless you've... you've and then they had the coffee. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something in the coffee. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle when it goes over anything over 100 milligrams. I start to struggle a little bit. I get a little bit jittery. Yeah. And, and, you know, you kind of... I can feel it working the other way, if that sounds It almost can make you not be sensitive to stuff. You almost start missing signals because your body's just flicking all over the yeah. place. Yeah. So, you, you know, that can be... I notice if I have too much caffeine, my thought processes start to sort of bounce around. That's and you, right, can't, yeah. you can't concentrate. You think, yeah, there is an optimum. And sometimes people think, well, if I've got a good effect on 200, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try 300 or 400. And you start noticing that... Um, particularly as the research has been done that you add more in and it doesn't actually increase no. performance. If it doesn't increase performance, I would actually argue also you're starting to bring in more chance that there's a chance you could actually decrease Inhibit. performance yeah. because often these things are not done in real world, they're done in a lab. The moment you start looking real world and take into account how much info you have to take on board, uh, far too many people have got far too fired up for uh, you know open water swims or the start of a sport even gone bonkers and then six hours later are you know at a feed station crying because they went too hard early on yeah. and you, you kind of go no you should have left the caffeine way later than that have a caffeine gel you know every hour from two hours but don't have it at the start in the morning before you know at six o'clock when you get up with your breakfast and then wonder why you're the only one on the start line getting super hyper yeah and like i said it is worth trying in training like you said the the, the earlier you can do it in your training regime probably the better yeah and I, I am one of these people, I think, where you, you have to know, I think you know yourself where your limit is. Mm. So, for instance, if you're taking these... Uh, Caffeine, su- know your limits. Yeah, know your <laughs> limits. So, you know, for instance, if you take two 
big gels with say 150 milligrams in um is there gels with 150 yeah is there yeah i didn't know that so you know you, you that 300 milligrams and and then all of a sudden you're, you're dancing running, you're running so fast <laughs> you've gone back to the future you know i think sometimes you 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 know your limits and yeah. you kind of go Mwah. that's a, that's a lot i mean yeah. that's a, that is a lot there's very little done on multiple um if you like in something like even say a sporty for triathlon you know multiple intake of caffeine and what that does to people often because performance tests aren't done that long because no. it's hard to, to monitor them. but of what i've seen you you tend to sort of load for the start of the event or soon into the start of the event and then you take on the rest of the event about half of that again towards the half or two-thirds of the way through but because it takes an hour it to get into the system it is pointless you know taking it so late in the day that all it does is makes you feel super brilliant after the event yeah when you finish and yeah. you want to go which to bed is or... which is you know which is what people sometimes do you know yeah. they say oh oh i took a took a you know took a caffeine gel at a turn and oh that that second two and a half k of that triathlon i was flying <laughs> it's like it was all in your head yeah. you yeah. know there might be there might be the carbohydrate effect kicking in this whole idea of carbs in your mouth tells your brain in some cases to go a bit quicker but caffeine takes too long so even the people that take it 10 minutes before that is physiologically impossible for them to um, assuming that they're taking it through their mouth it's physiologically impossible for them to take it in and absorb it quick enough and therefore it's totally psychosomatic you could have given them you know anything that didn't even have coffee in but told them that it does work i'll have to find it out but there has been some interesting research where they told people they had caffeine but they didn't. Yeah. In other cases, they told them they were just testing a sports drink, but it had caffeine in and they didn't realise. And it's amazing how even the effect when you're told or not told about it still makes people do things slightly differently to how they right. would. Okay. So, you know, the best one is when people are using caffeine and they know that they're using it. But then who accidentally suddenly takes 300 milligrams of caffeine? That's my argument. I know it's good for research, but you should know how much you take when you take it. And what the amounts are in the things that you use because like you say there's 150 milligram gel out there well somebody shouldn't just go and buy gels and not even realize there's that much caffeine in them so you should read the labels sometimes um people are very against caffeine and therefore you know if they think they've taken caffeine they can start to really really lose the plot yeah. oh, oh oh you know i'm 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 on the gear now i'm somehow i'm gonna be i'm a i'm a doper it's like no uh, like the um the 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 supplement um that we're going to talk about in a bit there is a line that says caffeine's fine but if you take too much and you don't feel better on it then what's the point yeah, you, you yeah. just find a minimum and it isn't something to always i know there's a strong link between you know coffee and cycling and also more so now triathlon and coffee there's just kind of a link there but people like coffee so they drink it but then either the way i look at it is is it's it's a tradition but you shouldn't say that and then tie it in with cycling, should you? <laughs> if you know what I mean. If but, you know what I mean. But the whole, the whole, I think the whole social side of cycling has been built built around drinking coffee and eating cake. Yeah. So, but back to the caffeine. What's wrong with both those things? Yeah, exactly. That's life. <laughs> but you, going back to caffeine, you know, it it is there for everybody to use. Yeah. All right. There's no two ways about it. Whether you've taken taken a caffeine gel. Um, 
you know, without noticing. Yeah, um, as, as you could get in an aid station and yeah, not realise yeah. it's got caffeine in it. You know, it, in the grand scale of things, I don't think it, it's going to, you're instantly going to drop dead because you've taken it and you've never taken it before or you're no. instantly going to have a stomach upset, you know. Um, if it happens on a race, it happens. It's one of those things that you just kind of go, well, maybe that's a bit of my fault because I've my nutrition was poorly worked out, you know, I've had mm. to take something else on. Um, but don't be afraid to kind of approach it Mm. Um, you know, it, it'd be like someone having a secret pair of aero wheels and, and they're getting their, that little bit of a gain on you, you know, try it, try it in training. If mm. it doesn't work out for you, you've lost nothing by it. Yeah. It's so, one of the cheapest, one of the cheapest ergogenics yeah. that you can get. And because it is such a known quantity, um, it's sort of one of those things where you say, look, the entry point is fairly cheap. There's various ways in which people can have it might just be coffee that they don't know the exact amount but they have it but it isn't a slippery slope that you start skidding down and next minute you know you're trying to trying to uh, find uh, i don't know the next level of uh, of illegal supplement <laughs> anyway anyway on to on to other things so um a bit a of question, a bit of an update good great question yeah, absolutely really yeah so thanks for that well um so couple of updates really uh, there was a uh, twitter tweet that i did a tweet tweet um on some research that's just come out from Aberystwyth University on colostrum and active males and illness. And they found that over 12 weeks in the winter, athletes that took on 20 grams of colostrum a day had less upper respiratory illness. So they basically got less, you know, upper respiratory, uh, get my teeth in, upper respiratory illness um, incidents. And that it was better than those that were on a um a placebo and because it was uh double blind then that means not only did the athletes not know which one they were taking but also the researchers didn't know what they'd given the athletes otherwise of course people could say oh you're probably on quite a good one and then straight away people think oh i might be on the good one and whether that changed somebody's habits i don't know but when it's double blind it means there's no way until they actually get the data and then check what what group people were in they don't even know what data they're analyzing so they're analyzing two groups yeah and what comes out comes out as an independent measure. So yeah, it was it was uh, uh, another study that showed that um, colostrum has benefits on an illness level. There were certainly plenty of teams, athletes, and also research to show that it it works. It's not to everybody's um, flavour. You know, it is a it is a milk product. Some people um, can't take too much pip, uh, milk. Some people worry about the ethics of taking a cow's um, first milk but if this is subject to it being beyond what the calf needs and therefore it's excess to requirement um, it's not, it's, it's, it's not we, we don't get it from the cows <laughs> yeah it's not like oh oh sorry calf you can't have yours we're going to take it for the yeah, athletes yeah, yeah. um and there are lots of you know there are lots of very high level um rugby teams and the, the very professional ones that the, the you know the national squads of various countries use it because there's a solid science a, a purity level a very good um if you like um logic from which to use it yeah and sometimes there's not logic and things just kind of are used because like you said traditional whatever but this is this is a very very strong study um on normal athletes they measured their training in what's called met hours and it probably meant 
that it was about six or seven hours, depending on the person in the study that you're talking about. Certainly around about that amount. So, you know, they were active enough. Um, there's enough training effect there that, you know, they're, they're, not, um, they're not totally sedentary. Um, they are athletes in inverted commas. And so that was, um, that was published in uh, Brain, Behaviour and Immunity. So there's the original study, if you're looking closely at the podcast. Right there. <laughs> um, but no, you've got you to read these things front to back to just check out that everything is, is um, what well, was done as is suggested and it updates you on what's going on. So for those that are interested, it is uh, published, as I said, by Brain, Behaviour and Immunity and the link or the tweet link was um, up on the Twitter feed a few days ago. And the author is Arwell W. Jones. And it is available online. Um, cost you about, about 30 quid if you want to buy it. Um, next up, uh, what was the other one? Oh yeah, I just found this bit that I called Retro. I found a page online from Cycling Weekly. Uh, Cycling Weekly. Told you, didn't I? I, I told know. you it was catching. And I've got your teeth. Now. <laughs> Cycling Weekly, April the fourteenth, nineteen eighty-four. How old were you then, Martin? Eighty-four. Yeah. I was eight years old. Oh. Yeah. I got you yeah. maths. I'm sorry. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to put you on the spot. Oh. Yeah, eight years old. Okay. Um, eight years old. And this is when Moser was building up to um, his world records. And they talk about it, and you can see how the language has moved on. How people talk about it, you know, and it's said. Well, they're not um, using aero in inverted commas. Are well, they? no. Um, um, they talk about his record and the fact that he worked with uh, Francesco Conconi, and science was being put into it. But he said um, tests showed that Moses' blood began to produce toxins when his heart rate reached 162 a minute before <laughs> be, before the production of toxins began. Oh. And you just think, wow, that just sounds like, like today they just say, you know, lactic acid, you know, um, lactic acid was high in the bloodstream over 162 heart rate. Yeah. And most people would know roughly what that means. But what was interesting was the bit that it said, um, uh, they talked about um, his training and they said that Moses strengthened his muscles with regular sessions on the road. Uh, that included pushing a gear of 53.12, which in brackets is 119.2 inches. So you can tell that <laughs> it's right. very geeky, you yeah, know, talking yeah. the number of inches that the yeah. gear is. But, you know, next time you're out on the bike, do 53.12. Um, uphill to build his muscles up. So this is, you know, this is this strength work, the over-geared riding uphill, which um, is kind of, you know, with this, there's research now, there's always been a sense that we know that it, that it works. But it was quite funny that, it was written in such a kind of, you know, um, such a kind of very, um, very kind of archaic, archaic kind of, language. Yeah. You know, this is this this is only eighty four. I mean, it's like not eighteen eighty four, but it was, you know, quite interesting that they, you know, they spoke about that and that his, um, you know, his sort of his science was much more so than other people. You know, that they were measuring his lactate and they were doing um, this strength work. Um, and this was just the first of his hour records, and he went on to do um, the indoor, the outdoor, the altitude, the, the whole ramp, you know. But saying that, I've I've read recently there's, there's going to be a couple of guys that might have a little bit of a poke at the... Yeah, Cancellara. Can, yeah, Cancellara is one of them. Um, there was words bound, or a name, 
I don't know whether it was a wind-up, but Alex Dowsett, they were, they, were, they were trying to trying to prod him into giving them an answer, whether he wanted to, to go for it. Well, why didn't you ever go for it? Me? Yeah. I could be there for an hour. <laughs> I'd probably do about... No, I bet you couldn't. I bet, I bet you'd leave after 35 I minutes because you were that. bored. I've got to go. Yeah, got to go. I'm bored. Can I get a hot dog? <laughs> um, but there was, there was another name. I can't remember who else. Someone that was going to recent, that's recently maybe retired or was going to retire. All right. No, don't know, don't know. I can't, I can't. No, I can't. It might have been an Italian, but I can't. Oh, okay, okay. Um, So, we have one more question that that came through a tweet. And um, I think it it stimulated our our, our, uh, our conversation beforehand. It was from David Manning Oren. I hope I said that right again, David. And he said... If you want a question for the podcast, um, page 137 of, of 220 Triathlon, discuss. And they also said, where's the line? Okay, so that is the most recent 220, which I'm holding in my hand, which popped through the letterbox. Let's letter paint box. the picture, Joe. Let's paint the yep. picture. Okay, so it popped through the letterbox. This is um, issue 294. So for some people, they may still have 293. Um, this is January 2014. So though it's popped through the letterbox, let's pop through the letterbox on 6th December, it's always a different date. Okay. Is this the future? <laughs> this is the future. Yeah. Has it got results? Uh, I'll show you a picture. I'll show you a picture. Shall I show you a picture of the future, Martin? You might even, you might even laugh on air if I show you a picture of the future. Um, there's the picture of the future. What do you think of that? See, he is, he's laughing, he's laughing. Even better, what do you think of that? Have a look at that, that swim bench picture. Outrageous, isn't Outrageous. it? Anyway, outrageous. Anyway, um, he is talking about, so David is talking about, on page 137 there is um, a picture. I won't ask Martin to describe the picture and the text and so forth, but it says at the top advertisement, it says, um, Jump Start 2014 with a boost. And then it talks about various things that this product will do. And this product is called EPO Boost. Okay, so that's its its trade name. Um, You've got it up on the web and it's called EPO Boost. Um, Natural EPO Stimulator for Athletes. Okay, so I guess we start with the fact that, you know, he said um, in his tweet, he said, um, discuss. Well, firstly, you know, it's an an advert. Clearly says at the bottom, uh, at the top rather. And... One of the pieces of research that they refer to is actually marked at the bottom of the page, which is quite good because often people talk about, oh, research has been done and it hasn't. Yeah. And it gives um, the research study by Whitehead in the International Journal of Sports Nutrition and Exercise Metabolism, which was done in 2007. Uh, I know that one because we actually spoke about it on the podcast and it was the fact that in taking um, echinacea for... I think it was approximately four weeks. I know we've got the study up on up on the um, the, the PDF, up, uh, the one that's highlighted there. That's it. Uh, um, I think it was approximately four weeks. They took it, and lo and behold, they noticed, you know, that the um, the the blood, the serum erythropoietin um, improved over this four weeks. Let's backpedal. Um, Echinacea. Yes. What type has this got to this supplement effectively? Well, one of the one of the um, ingredients of this supplement is echinacea. So one of the main ingredients. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm no, and I'm not standing on this platform. I'm just trying to give what I see as the 
you know, the, yes. the kind of yeah, like he's yeah, saying yeah. discuss, and I'm just discussing. Yeah. Um, I've not used this supplement. Um, I've used echinacea. Um, I've used various supplements, but I haven't used this supplement. But he, I think he's, I think he's kind of prodding at, okay, what do we think of this? Well, immediately, you know, to you and me, we say EPO boost. So of course, I th- from from your point of view, yeah, you've gone and done the the, the thing that you do. And that's, you've ignored effectively the EPO, haven't you? You've gone in and gone, right, what is this supplement? What oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. what David is asking is, where is the line? So, mm. I think what happens there is people have seen the title of this product. Yeah. And then just gone, whoa, 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 whoa you can't advertise that. Mm. You know, but let's be brutally honest, it wouldn't go into a magazine if... Number one, it was illegal, would it? Or it couldn't be used and it wasn't on a list. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a there's a funny line that with with various supplements, you can, you know, you, unless something, you know, is is guaranteed with a certificate of um, of purity by normally it's like a I think it's a WADA based lab that gives it a quality control. Um, Plenty of supplements have accidentally had things yes. in them they yeah, shouldn't yeah. do, yeah. and that's one of the it's one of the areas where you know you've got to watch that. They say, oh, you you must control everything you have, or else you know, being a, an age group athlete listening to this could accidentally take a supplement that had something in it and get and get banned, and then think, yeah, but if it's at such micro levels, and they were they were thinking that it was perfectly legal, how you and I know there are measures to try and you know control what things are out there but at the same time the moment you try and control things too tightly there'll always be people that try and wriggle out and yeah. i don't think that's the issue with this it's just the moment you say the words epo and boost that's it people yeah, think yeah. well people think names like lance armstrong think oh epo it must be must be bad and of course the more that the more that that word is said people people think epo whereas actually epo erythropoietin is just you know the stimulator of red blood cell production and in that first study in 2007 it did actually um have an effect for several weeks of the study they did a retest a similar test in 2012 and found that improved running but then we before we came on air looked at it and actually the study was on very very i would say non-athletic people they were all around 20 percent fat or thereabouts weren't they that's right and the the vo2 measures were nothing great therefore they may have increased their fitness quite easily by the one percent that they were claiming and you think no that's not actually that's not actually probably enough they said it was significant but it's statistically significant but the amount was quite small and then the most recent 2013 study um, which my able-bodied, uh, able-bodied hey, person will we'll, we'll try, yeah, we'll try and find it on the on the multiple screens that he's looking at, was actually recently done, and they didn't find in trained runners. Um, go on, Safari. Um, they didn't find untrained runners that there was any effect. So you've got on one side two studies that show that it does work, and on another side. Um, that it doesn't um, it doesn't have a um, an, an impact, and both of the studies that do show an impact on one of the ingredients of this um, supplement that uh, David's talking about. One of the supplement, well, both studies had the same researcher as the head person in that in that study. Whereas the most recent one, I can't see there's any connection between these two research groups. They've looked at runners that are up around, you know, the mid upper 60 milliliters per kilogram and they're good runners. They've used it 
and they found no effect whatsoever. So you've got two studies that have said EPO has um, an effect, but there are not very strong groups of people from the point of view of um, uh, athletic outcome, whereas the one that's been done in 2013 and published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research shows that there's no effect when they've done it on trained runners. Now, that's only three studies, and any area needs a while to find its way and to find its, you know, its actual, um, is there an optimum dose that, you know, they were, they were still using eight grams or 8,000 8, milligrams in this most recent study, and still there wasn't an effect. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just there isn't an effect, and the two studies that found it, which were by the same researcher, just have somehow managed to find an effect that isn't necessarily the effect. Yeah. But somebody can quite easily put an advert in, they're selling a product, and he says, you know, um, kind of, you know, ask the question, where's the line? Well, we know the line, the line is, is WADA, right? And this, by the fact that this mentions a product that is connected with doping, i.e. PO, um, doesn't mean that it is. And the fact that we live in, you know, a free society means some, somebody can call it, you know, they could call it, you know, like crack or, <laughs> or, or almost heroin. Yeah, now, yeah, that yeah. wouldn't be necessarily what we would think of as the, as the brightest idea, but some people would think, oh, that's, that's illegal, it must be good, but it isn't. In this case, looking at the ingredients, the only one that I can see that could have an effect is the echinacea in terms of lock stock evidence at least that's got some evidence the rest of them it's slightly less clear that they will improve performance and also that the actual formulation itself i cannot see any independent studies that have shown that it works yeah. but it may well be that the combination has an effect and it's yet to be tested but you know where's the line well i i think that's the, you know we've just been talking about caffeine there's a clear line you can have caffeine some people may not agree with it some people might not look like the fact that um where's my tub of charger take my power bar charger before time trial i know that makes me ride faster some people think oh that's cheated no it's not because it's the right side of the line yeah. and i'm not pushing that line and nor do other people that take pro plus or caffeine gels or coffee and i think the moment somebody mentions something that might be illegal That doesn't mean it is. No, but what I do like about this is David's, or, or maybe the public's now perception of what's right and what's wrong mm. in sport. Mm. I don't think now the nation and the technology that, that we've got, the intelligence of the people, um, I suppose you, you can't say that, you, you know, the, the, the awareness that people yeah. have got now through media, yeah. internet, no matter what, that definite line now is not really shaded anymore. If you wander across that line and, well, I don't, oh, really, yeah, I don't yeah. really know what I was yeah. taking there because some supplement <coughs> has this word in it. Uh, I just chose this off the internet. I got six vials that were refrigerated mm. and I have to take them at a certain time. I got tested and now I've been banned for three years, yeah. four years. Um, you know, it's quite good the fact that people are now picking up on this. Yeah. But yeah. you can do your own investigating as well, can't you? Joe, Joe, yeah. Joe and I were kind of... We were looking at it from a very kind of 
technical like the way you do everything whenever we get asked any particular questions where you kind of go, well i'll have a look at this you look at it a particular way by trying to find hard facts yeah, yeah. But we'd also also, yeah. Um, you know uh especially tests that have been run yeah um because otherwise one you know one you look at that reference at the bottom and to somebody they go oh Whitehead in 2007 found it worked. Yeah, but, you know, the, the strength of, of most supplements, if you looked at it in terms of the uh, European Food Standards Agency, they wouldn't have given this the absolute, you know, sense that, yes, there is a definite um, batch of evidence that shows that this effect um, ha takes place and therefore this, this and this. And there's still things that they haven't given the OK to, which there is enough research to show it, but they haven't looked at it yet. Whereas this is more a case of... There's a lot of things in some products that people all band together and say, if you put all that together, it'll work. But until you get enough independent and categorical evidence, it may be that it could possibly work. Um, it, certainly, um, it certainly opens up a whole gamut of well where do you get your supplements from what what are they actually meant to do and do you actually you know if you take something um like i don't know if you if you take uh you know glucosamine i mean some people will swear by it and they say my joints feel better whereas if you look at the efsa and you look at uh, you know a lot of inverted commas experts they say oh no glucosamine doesn't work but people that have pain in their joints will swear that it makes it better and if it does make it better um, oh you're just ordering some now yeah, yeah, for me are you oh. <laughs> <coughs> well i think i think what 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 david to get to kind of get back to what you said you discuss it joe always discusses it in a very in a very technical way in a very honest way. Now we're not turning around saying this definitely does not work. It definitely does work. No. You know, it's more a question. Of, I think. I think David's question is more: Should this morally, be out there? Yes. Should it yes. be out there, or should it be called that? Well, it can be called that because actually, it's just a name. It's what people. It's the connotations to it um, that uh, you know. You look at. You're looking at the the actual ingredients, and I'm not going to you know do their do their PR for them. Far from it, but you don't have a lot of the strongest um, sports nutrition companies in the world doing things that are down this line of, um, I suppose, of, of a slightly hypothetical supplement. Yeah, yeah. Um, we will get stronger and stronger um, legislation as the EFSA comes in. Already some of the sports nutrition brands that we could name in the UK have had to change labelling. Yeah. They've had to change sometimes their ingredients um, and they've certainly had to look at their whole brand um, sort of, uh, I guess, brand kind of uh, structure to check that what they've got in there actually can be given, you know, not, you know, it's not like they can only sell stuff that's been given the categorical that's okay, because there are certain supplements we know and the evidence hasn't been looked at, and one of them is L-carnitine. They haven't even looked at the studies that are categorical in its use because it happened after the fact that they did this particular yeah. you know does it work oh no no we don't think so and then the research comes out from a very strong group that shows that it does and several times over that it does but that's not been taken into account so you can't say that efsa any sports scientist or any company absolutely knows what's what yeah. there yeah. is a learning curve but 
in this case, it's more, I think, a a moral, moral idea yeah. of what should you know. If people pay for a page, that's fine. If if somebody doesn't you know doesn't know whether they should or shouldn't take it, I think with a lot of supplements, you've got to look at what are the bare bones of how do you perform. And a lot of times, people have got to get better at their feeding, at their recovery, at their micronutrient intake, so that they look at the quality of food they're having and possibly still supplement a very low level RDA multivitamin but they don't go for the you know the big headline thing straight away you say wow look at this look at this because you said it a few times you know your 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 sporting prowess isn't contained in a bottle you can't get you can't do three months training by buying something in no, a bottle no no you know but you know the, the 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 question i i find this question fascinating because you can just keep going over and over it you know our, our moral awareness now mm. of sp- just sport, mm. Mm. I think, and, and sport for us, maybe I'm getting in a bit too deep here, but um, people are now morally aware and responsible mm. for what they do in sport, not only yeah. for what they take, mm. you know, but obviously their actions as well. So as soon as you see something with EPO and you kind of end up going, oh, well, that yeah. can't be, that's, that's, surely that's not right. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that thing that we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, um, ban the right for people to to do things no but you have to look at the evidence and there's not you know i didn't immediately say because i had to first research what the major ingredients are i knew that study straight away and knew what it was about and therefore thought yeah i'm not i'm not you know at the time it was like this happens and there might be something but this is a strange finding yeah and it hasn't been replicated by so many people that when you look up the citations of that piece of research that so many other people have duplicated it and found it that basically, you know, the the evidence sticks as such it hasn't really been investigated that no, much, no. and we haven't seen any increases in products that use that. And I think, if anything, the echinacea has a a good chance that it might help the immune system. Um, I've got um, I've got doctors that I that I coach that say, yeah, definitely, I'm I'm definitely definitely pro it as a way of you know keeping a few coals at bay and it's relatively low cost when you start talking about the expense of taking eight grams a day of echinacea and all the other ingredients in in certain supplements you start realizing that's a lot of money (laughs) and you've got to have you know you've got to be on a serious amount of sports nutrition and a serious amount of very high quality not necessarily organic food but very high quality veg intake you can't be taking this and then you know always having three bars of chocolate a day always do you know what i mean there's so many easy gains um i like it because um this type of question opens up an idea as to what people actually themselves think about yes. what's yeah, right yeah, and wrong. Brilliant. And people will have disagreed with, you know, the idea of caffeine in gels. They keep away from it because they're, they're, they're scared they will dehydrate or they don't think it's morally right. It's like, fine. It, it is, if you're morally against that's fine. But this isn't about what is morally right. This is about it makes you faster and it's legal. In terms of caffeine, I'm on yes, about. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, we know it works. There's enough independent and just um, just so many studies across the world that you can pinpoint it down to the milligram what level you need. Whereas supplements that stack together everybody else's research and some of it is not even enough research to really give the ingredients it's like look if you throw enough things in a bottle sometimes something might help people but i think we have to be very clear that um supplements are supplements they're supplementary to your existing diet 
the sports nutrition that you use and then supplements are the last bit at the top of the equation yeah. and i think it you know it may it may create a you know a certain um certain amount of people getting their back up and saying oh i don't think this is right but i can't see anything in it that's illegal i certainly think that of the research that that has been done in the area on the echinacea there's a slim possibility there might be a, um a, an epo increase but the most recent one shows that um it didn't you know it didn't work on a group of trained runners so maybe you know maybe it's one of those things that we're going to come back to in a year's time um and find you know what somebody's put a lot of time and money and effort to do these research studies they take um, they take a lot of money to get these things done, knowing people that have done research on supplements. Wow. You look at the number of companies that got the money to actually put a full, full born study from beginning to end with all the experts in it. And the, the, you know, they don't have to pay the people that do it lots of money. It's the fact that so many processes of analysis That's of right, having, yeah. you know, um, you know, ethics meetings of having all the analysis of the blood samples or the muscle samples or the performance tests you know you're talking this isn't just you know you get six people that you um hope will uh, will come and do a study um this is you know big multi-group type testing so it sticks because it's been double blind and you've got the placebo and you've worked out you know what you're going to do so i you know it's it's not it's not illegal, you know. Um, however, that said, um, I haven't got the ultimate list of supplements that have been tested and batch tested multiple times to say this is okay. But I think it's a slim, it's a very fine line when somebody accidentally takes, you know, a medication for a cold and then gets tested a few days later. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, that's not doping. That's being a dope. Mm. That's being a bit silly that, you know... Um, they've taken something they didn't realize as opposed to somebody that goes out and out to take stuff that is definitely trying trying it on yeah and yeah. i know somewhere there's a, oh yeah but that had that in it but um you know lots of times people pick up medication and said i had a really bad cold i just took that because it made me feel better i wasn't even capable of training i just wanted to function because of my you know two kids had me for you know for breakfast over the weekend because i could hardly chase around after them so i took whatever it took i wasn't thinking about performance enhancement but when supplements are advertised they are suggesting performance enhancement that's yeah. a different you know that's a different that's yeah. a different entirely i like that that that, that was a good question I think it was, and it was it was very timely because that had come through. I hadn't actually seen that page because it's in um, you know there's there's what about three or four four or five pages towards the back, so it's in the advert section, um, and it was quite good to think. Yeah, somebody's looked at that, thought about it, thought you know not necessarily has he made a moral decision, but he's made a um, you know kind of thought of oh what do we think? And I I like the ethics of ergogenics because. I've always been challenged on things where people say, oh, yeah, but I don't agree with such and such. Doesn't matter what you agree on, this whether the rule book says you're in the black area or the white That's area, it. on That's the good, it. the bad, the however you want to term it, you know? Um, and if it's, if it's okay and you are 
open to use it, then fine. We don't, you know, we, we ban very little technology in most sports in terms of certainly, you know, there's not many restrictions in mountain biking or triathlon. There is more as you get into the professional level yeah, to what, yeah. you know, there's there's probably more limits on what, what logos people can have on their tri-suit if they're racing age group level than there is on the equipment they can use. It's, you know, it's kind of like there are rules. And when it comes to supplements, it is, a you know, not a grey area, but there are supplements and there are, you know, even things you could be eating accidentally that you don't realise are potentially um, things that could be uh, not necessarily getting you in trouble, but not necessarily to your better uh, long-term health yeah. or so on. So, yeah, I think that's a... I could get people thinking about things. I, I like think. it. I yeah. like that. Yeah. It's good. And, and you know, if, if, if it's not that we're not making a a moral judgment but just saying this is how it is but interestingly i'm sure there will be other things that people then start looking at and think yeah what is the what is the evidence based on that or yeah i've been taking that but i haven't a clue whether it works and one of the places to certainly start is the uh, the european food standards agency because they've done it but you look at it and think wow this is some paperwork you've got to go through and yeah. just to read out you know is is creatine okay and what do they say about it you have to really kind of do your homework and for a lot of people um they unfortunately get more um out of an advert punching things at them yeah. they think oh 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 there we go oh it's only that much oh that could make me a few few percent better and you've got to remember regardless of what it is an advert is there to sell something to you is that what it works that's it that's it ah oh, do you know what that's totally that's t oh i've learned something today there you go yeah brilliant so thank you very much that is an awesome question yeah, it was good so I think um, when it comes to the uh, the end of this month, we've gone through various bits of research. We've done the Q and A's. We've talked about a retro bit of training. I think we've covered it, Martin. Are you all right? Yeah. No. No, it's good. Yes, I'm fine. Thank good. you very much. Okay. So we I... started. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm. Uh, I'm going to talk to Martin off air about getting another one done before Christmas so you can get a, a new one in the new year. Uh, I think we like your questions. They've been good. I couldn't get through all of them, so there will be a couple immediately that we can do um, for next time. But please send them in via the Twitter link or go to the contact page at jbst.com. Uh, between the podcast, there's a Facebook page for questions and discussions. Also add your reviews at iTunes. Thanks for those. And um, thank you for listening and for, um, well, for sticking with us while we wait for the uh, for the money from James Morrison to appear. To appear. Yeah. Or um, <coughs> who was the other guy? Uma Kuma. Uma Kuma, Uma yeah. Kuma yeah. Well, you know, if, if one of them couldn't get the money to us, I'm sure the other can. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you, punters. We will speak to you in a few weeks. Do a test, proper test. Do you want to practice? Right, that? yeah, right, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> we don't do that. No, no. Um, Mary had a little lamb. You finish the sentence. She typed. Uh, no. Um, do you want to practice that? No.